0: This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU, elegantly simple, it's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International. The new year is upon us and the 2023 Summit season is just around the corner. First up, it's the Marketing and Communications Summit, the preeminent gathering place of marketing, communication, and public relations professionals dedicated to helping DMOs thrive. This year's summit will challenge you to think about your role within your organization as communities tackle new and diverse issues. Topics include social media and blog content strategy creation, building creative environments for your agencies and staff, working with freelancers and influencers, developing your optimal technology resource toolbox, and using real-time data to influence destination stewardship and management. It's the Marketing and Communication Summit, February 13, 14, and 15 in one of my favorite towns, Norfolk, Virginia. For more info and to register, go to destinationsinternational.org upcoming hyphen events. And now it's on to our show. Tracy Kimberlin held the position of President-CEO for the Springfield, Missouri Convention and Visitors Bureau from 1987 through December of 2022. Under his leadership, the Bureau budget grew to $4.2 million and supported a full-time staff of 18. A graduate of Missouri State University, Tracy managed several hotels prior to joining the Bureau. He also served as an instructor in the Hospitality and Restaurant Administration Department of MSU for many years. In 1994, Tracy was inducted into the Missouri Travel and Tourism Hall of Fame for his work in crafting the legislation that established a funding mechanism for the Missouri Division of Tourism. Often referred to as House Bill 188, the legislation became known as the Missouri model and has been studied and implemented by other states wishing to increase funding for state tourism promotion. Dracy is a past president of the Missouri Association of Convention and Visitor Bureaus. He served on the executive committee for several years. He also served on the board of the Springfield Hotel Lodging Association, was a member of the Missouri Division of Tourism's Cooperative Marketing Committee and secretary of the Greater Springfield Area Sports Commission. Tracy Kimberlin, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill. 35 years, brother. Has it sunk in yet? We're recording this on the 3rd of January, so you've been uh, without a job now for three days.
1: How's it feeling? That's correct. (laughs) Honestly, it uh, it hasn't totally soaked in yet you know yesterday was a holiday so you know i didn't miss work because of that but today was the first day of work that i right. you know, would have normally been there and you were and so and i actually were. did i did go in <laughs> for about 3 hours today to wrap up some things and we'll be doing that here for another few weeks to help my successor during the transition
0: oh that's great so congratulations on an amazing run that's really why we wanted to have you on the show to talk about some of those highlights and I think you may be one of the first guests that is returning because back when DMOU was a teleseminar series in the aughts, you came on board and you talked about the Missouri model. And it was a great show, one of our favorites in the uh, entire 125 episode run. And when I reached out to you a few weeks ago and said, hey, let's go again. And you went, well, we're not using the Missouri model anymore. And I said, well, But that doesn't mean it's not still a great idea. So it's been years since that model powered explosive growth of Missouri's tourism budget. You were one of the architects of that model. And while Missouri is no longer using it, I still believe it was the smartest DMO funding model I've ever seen. So as you step away from day-to-day DMO leadership, share with us the elegance of the Missouri model in hopes that some other destination can benefit from the brilliant work that you did. Well, it was... uh...
1: A challenge back then to get funding for the Missouri Division of Tourism because they were funded out of general revenue. We uh, fought with education and everybody else, and you don't usually win when you're fighting uh, with education. Yeah. We formed a committee, the Division of Tourism formed a committee, uh, to try to develop a funding mechanism for the Division of Tourism that would generate a budget of $20 million by 2020. And this was in 1993, A bunch of us were served on that committee, about 20 people, I think. I was one of them. And uh, we batted around all kinds of ideas about how we could generate funding for the Division of Tourism, most of them revolving around who could we tax or who could we tax more. And that was not going well. (laughs) And frankly, out of frustration, an idea popped into my head that, the industry is already generating a significant amount of sales tax revenue for the state of Missouri. And why wouldn't it be fair if the state shared in the growth in that sales tax revenue going forward and use it in effect as an incentive plan for the division of tourism? Uh, If the industry grows, the division of tourism gets more money. Makes sense. The concept was pretty basic and that was about it when it came out of my mouth. It was refined considerably before we put it before the legislature. But the whole concept, it was a four-page bill, very uh, simple. It simply stated that uh, the growth in certain, at that time, they were called standard industry classification codes, SIC codes, that if the total growth in those SIC codes uh, that were all related to the tourism industry If it exceeded 3%, which accounted for normal inflation, then the Division of Tourism would get 50% of the growth above that, up to a maximum of $3 million per year. And it was cumulative, so the most their budget could grow per year was $3 million. It actually caught on. No one thought it could pass initially, and most people thought it was too complicated to explain to the legislators. And uh, that proved to be somewhat true. The sponsors of the bill uh, really couldn't explain it in committee, and I had to go up and testify with them to explain it. Long story short, it caught on. It passed almost uh, unanimously. I think the vote in the Senate was something like 32 to 4, and in the House, it was 130 something to 11 or 14. So it was overwhelmingly supported. And then it was signed into law later that year. It worked great until things like 9-11, the Great Recession, and all that started happening. Uh, And of course, any funding, at least in the state of Missouri, is subject to appropriation. So when things got tough, like a lot of businesses, the wisdom at the estate uh, was to, well, the easy place to cut is our advertising. And that's what started getting cut. Yeah. So, anyway, it did bounce back and forth uh, for a, a number of years. It would, It always had a five-year uh, sunshine on it, and we had it renewed several times. And it was always at least there in the background. Uh, and it did cause the division of tourism's budget to grow. And even while it was in place, it at least it was a measuring stick that we could use to argue for more funding. And as a result, when the, when it all started. Uh, the Division of Tourism's budget was $3 million. And by 2020, we didn't make $20 million, uh, but we made 15. Yeah, And it's uh, been around that uh, ever since. It did go up uh, with ARPA funds uh, here recently, and hopefully uh, we can keep it up there, and we've got some really good people in place in the Senate and the House, hopefully, to do that.
0: So let me go back a little bit uh, and follow up on the brilliance of this plan, because as you said at the outset adding new taxes is rarely a starter, right? Yep. This one is existing taxes, no new taxes. This is just a redistribution of the growth and only the growth in those SIC codes that were tourism related. So nobody loses here.
1: It's just a redistribution to continue to prime the pump. You're exactly right. And that was one of the things that we knew would come up is somebody would say oh you're earmarking taxes are you are taking taxes away from us we're not you know the and we made the point that the state is the big winner with this formula because they get all of the existing tax and then any growth they get the first 100% of the first 3% then they get 50% of the next 6 million and 100% of anything over that so, you know, we were really just carving out a little bit for the Division of Tourism, and, and we were able to get that argument across. We initially didn't start out with the exclusion for inflation, the first 3%, but we knew we would have to do that. And so we had that in our hip pocket, and that was one of the amendments that we made. But coincidentally, the, uh, the House Budget Committee chairman who was very influential, and obviously you weren't going to get anything uh, through unless he approved it. Uh, The year before, the state had been in a budget crunch, and he had recommended cutting all non-essential departments, including the Division of Tourism. But he came on board. He thought it was a great plan. He said it makes sense. You know, this is like a commission plan. And uh, he wound up being one of the biggest supporters of it. And when he jumped on board, we knew it was going to go through. Wow.
0: So you say that there was a, a max, a cap, a $3 million cap. because right. you know, And we hear that argument almost anywhere we go is that, you know, this is a really bad idea, but I think it's going to work. And so we got to cap it, which is just crazy. Yeah. But I seem yeah. to remember that the cap came into play fairly often because you were so successful and you were generating so much yes. more sales tax revenue that had the cap not been there,
1: you would have made 20 in the next like three years, right? That is correct. That was during the Branson boom of the 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, that generated a lot of additional sales tax revenue for the state that still exists today. Uh, Back then, Branson was a regional destination and turned into a national destination very quickly. And the growth was tremendous. And we were, this bill passed right uh, when that was going on. So we even structured the bill where it caught all of the years of the Branson boom. There is a delay in the formula, partly because the Department of Revenue doesn't know what the sales tax revenue is going to be for a given year until several months after. Right. And the budget's already been approved and all that stuff. So there had to be a lag. We just set it back an extra year to take advantage of the Branson boom. And nobody noticed.
0: Yeah. And it's also good for planning, right? Right. So let's stick on the topic of revenue. Most DMOs took a significant budget hit during the pandemic, but the Springfield CVB emerged on the other side with a significantly bigger budget. Tell us your COVID story.
1: Well, for some reason, when we first started hearing about COVID, uh, before uh, there was even a case in the United States, it concerned me greatly. And I thought, you know, if what I'm hearing is really true, this could wreak havoc on the travel industry. And then, of course, uh, when it hit the states, we really got concerned. And when the NBA canceled their season, we got the staff together and it's like, okay, here we go. We've been talking about this and now we need to take immediate action. And we developed a coronavirus business strategy and presented it to our board In the March board meeting, which was the third Thursday, I can't remember what date that was on, but it was right after the NBA canceled their season. We decided, contrary to what a lot of folks were doing, that we were going to uh, immediately cut expenses, everything that we could cut, including all of our advertising for the next year. But we made the conscious decision that we were not going to lay anyone off. Uh, And we weren't going to cut salaries. No one was going to get raises, but we weren't going to cut anyone. Mm -hmm. And that we were immediately going to start developing uh, marketing programs that we could implement uh, with the push of a button, uh, so to speak, uh, when the time was right uh, after the pandemic was over. And the only problem was we knew we weren't going to have any money. The hotel tax went to hell in a handbasket. Sure we knew that we were going to have to go out and raise money. That was complicated by the fact, as you know, 501c6s weren't eligible for the payroll protection plan for a long time. Yeah, And we got lucky in that we own some property that we uh, had purchased um, a number of years back at a substantial discount. We purchased the property for 250000 and in june of the year of the pandemic we got a cash offer of $674,000 very cool so that allowed us a little bit of breathing room and shortly after that we became eligible for the payroll protection plans and we got those and a total of in other grants of 3.1 million which more than replaced the room tax that we loss because of the pandemic. Our budget pre-pandemic, we're on a fiscal year that begins in June. So we had a little of the pandemic in several years, but pre-pandemic, our budget was 3.6 million. When the pandemic hit, it dropped to 3.1. And then when we got all the grants the next year, we had 5.2 million. Crazy. And what we were able to do with that money and what we planned to do with it was Pushed the button on the marketing programs that we had developed. And we knew that there were going to be very few destinations in the marketplace. And so we hit it very heavy with, we spent about two and a half million, uh, advertising for the pent up leisure travel demand and boy, did it pay off. We recovered to pre pandemic levels in nine months. And 2021 was a record year in room demand and everything else. Uh, and 22 beat 2021. So that kicked our room tax up significantly very quickly. And then with all the grants that we got, uh, our fund balance went from about a million to it's right now about two and a half million.
0: Very cool. And not that the timing is ever perfect for something like a pandemic, but you had just gotten a bunch of new product before the pandemic hit. That the pent-up demand, as people were still kind of wary of large urban centers, I mean, you guys were perfectly positioned. I mean, you were exactly the kind of destination with exactly the kind of family-friendly attractions that people that finally just couldn't stay home anymore and they had to travel. You were right in their sights. Your advertising was back probably more aggressively than it could have been with the new budget. I mean, everything just slotted in perfectly for you at this point in time, as perfect as anything with a pandemic
1: can be. You know, a lot of it I attribute to luck, but I also think a lot of it, uh, we reacted very quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, cutting all of our expenses the way that we did as quickly as we did. Uh, And we were in the middle of our spring advertising campaign, which really hurt, but, uh, you know, we had to do it. And then we were very aggressive with grant writing and things of that nature. And we had never done that before. Uh, First time we had ever written a grant, but... We'll be looking to do that in the future, I can assure you. So last
0: question before we wrap this up. I remember being with your board and you updating your strategic plan as the recovery money began to become available. And you had a vision of taking some of that revenue and converting your sadly deteriorating expo hall into a tournament-grade basketball facility, which, I mean, that would be the kind of investment that you would expect recovery money to go to because it's the kind of, infrastructure that will keep on giving and keep on throwing off cash and non-resident taxes and everything that we want in a tourism destination asset. And well, that just didn't happen. But the conversations from that moment ultimately sparked a plan to invest nearly $75 million in sports facilities around the community. So tell us what another of your legacy projects will mean for Springfield.
1: Well, that, that ties into the good luck that we had with our budget uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we found ourselves in a situation where we were sitting on a pile of money that we wanted to put to use, not just in marketing, because we f- we felt that we had saturated uh, the markets that we appeal to uh, with our advertising, and we didn't want to just throw keep throwing money at it. So One of the things that I was seeing was with the ARPA funds is that uh, people were lining up to get their hands on ARPA funds. And what I was seeing in Springfield are different organizations and facilities and whatnot preparing to go to battle with the very people uh, in their own community. And we had this extra money. So I knew that our sports facilities were deteriorating significantly, and we have great sports facilities as far as the number of fields and all of that stuff, but many of them were not turfed or lit. We have a shortage of indoor uh, basketball, volleyball courts, but the bones were there. We just needed you know, to bring them back up to speed. So we put together a proposal where we would take a million and a half of our cash reserve and apply it towards specific sports facility improvements if the city and the county would also use some of their ARPA funds uh, to that purpose and then get those matched by the state. So we put together a list of uh, projects that included uh, turfing, a total of 18 uh, soccer and baseball and softball fields at a complex Uh, called the Cooper Sports Complex, and that will turn that facility into a tournament-grade facility for a number of sports. We already have outstanding uh, indoor and outdoor tennis facilities there. The soccer facilities, we had a lot of fields. We have 18 fields. Now many of them will be turfed and lit. Uh, We had a total of nine softball and baseball fields that are going to be Uh, redone where they can be used for either softball or baseball and turfed and lit. So that's one of the projects we got. We turned our uh, our portion of the ARPA match for that project was about six hundred thousand dollars. But it is a twenty six million dollar project. So we leveraged our funds pretty well. Uh, We also had the fairgrounds. Uh, The Ozark Empire Fairgrounds wanted to build a new arena. They have a terrible arena, uh, 2,500 seats. It wasn't air-conditioned, and they wanted to build a 6,800-seat air-conditioned multi-purpose facility arena there, but didn't have the money to do it. We put up some of our ARPA funds and then got the city and the county to also match as well as the state. Uh, and that facility is now under construction. That will be about a twenty-five million dollar uh, facility when it's all said and done. Uh, then we helped a private developer do a an additional soccer complex in Springfield uh, called Sportstown, and it has twelve soccer fields, four of them turfed, eight uh, sod, and then it also has a hundred thousand square foot indoor facility with four basketball courts, or eight volleyball courts, and two indoor soccer courts. And that's a 25 to 30 million dollar project. We also are hoping to get funding, and think that we can, uh, to the Parks Department uh, also last year bought a privately owned uh, sports complex uh, with four basketball courts uh, under one roof, And we are hoping to get ARPA funds to expand that to 10 to 12 uh, courts. And then we're also hoping to get funding for uh, Greenway Trail expansion.
0: That is simply sensational. And again, as I said, in posing the question, this is the kind of stuff that that money should be used for and we see in so many communities that's not where it's gone and congratulations to you and the rest of the community for seeing the opportunity for collaboration because you guys are going to kill it it's going to be wild well it
1: you know it was kind of funny we we took a million and a half dollars and and that caused people to start singing out of the same songbook yeah. it wasn't that much money and we had never done anything we had never spent any of our money you know for capital improvements but we had a a whole bunch of it, and thought, why not try? And it did bring everybody together. In particular, the city really got behind us as far as using their ARPA funds for these projects. And then our state senator, Senator Lincoln Huff, he happens to chair the Senate Appropriations Committee, and he was able to get a bunch of state funding ARPA funds for these projects as well. So, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, everything is there. You just have to some way or another, prime the pump, and uh, I kind of think that's what we did uh, with the ARPA projects.
0: Well, congratulations, my friend! You have had an amazing impact on that region for 35 years. It's going to be uh, strange uh, to know that you are not at the helm, but I don't think you're going to stray too far. You're still going to be around, right? I am definitely
1: going to be around. I I don't know that I can ever <laughs> quit working. You know, I'll pick and choose what I do going forward and when I do it. But, uh, you know, I'll do some consulting. Uh, I've even thought about doing some lobbying uh, and may do that. I'm still a registered lobbyist. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure if anybody wants to resurrect the Missouri model, I'm sure you'll uh, be more than happy to give them the. uh...
1: You know, I still think it's a great idea. And. so, there are refinements that could be made to make it even better. And there are also other uh, kind of out of the box things that I've thought of as far as state division of tourism funding, too. But uh, right now, we've got the right people in place that we really don't even need a funding mechanism in Missouri. But that will change uh, because we do have term limits. Yeah, so,
0: right. You know, two of the most innovative programs Missouri Model was one of them. The other one that inexplicably was a massive hit and was sunsetted. And that was Vision Iowa. When the state of Iowa back in what, I think the late 90s, put $250 million on the table for communities to bid on, and they said, we're not giving away ones and twos. This has to, you, you have to come out, at, out of this with a massive project. Right. And ended up funding something like $2 billion worth of new development all over the state. I mean, game-changing development. And when the program was over, Iowa just walked away from it. It's like, what? $250 million a rounding error. <laughs> Why don't you do it again? And I just, you know, its it's amazing how our elected leaders just don't want to do what their predecessors
1: did. And it's like, sometimes your predecessors were pretty damn smart. Yep, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's politics, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You know, they get off on some other tangent. And, uh, you know, the last thing they think of is tourism, travel and tourism. Yeah. And, I mean, we've fought that battle here in Missouri forever. And even when we, I think it was at a peak as far as the elevation of the travel industry when we got that bill passed. But ever since then, with term limits and everything else, you know the people that are elected to the legislature generally come in with one or two topics on their list that they want to address. And travel and tourism is almost never one of those two topics. No. And so you almost have to start with, from scratch with new legislators. Uh, and the best time to hit them is before they're elected. It's right when they win the primary, and that's when they'll pay attention to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was the uh, story from Minnesota years ago when Jesse Ventura won, and nobody gave him a chance, but the Minnesota Association of CVBs actually had him in before the election to explain the importance of tourism, yep. which Jesse did not understand walking in the door. Right. But he certainly did because his first action upon becoming governor was to bump the Minnesota tourism budget yep. because they got to him early and nobody else gave him a chance. So absolutely. Great, great ideas. Great, uh, uh, great knowledge that uh, don't uh, don't keep it under a rock. We, we need you out here as, as much as we possibly can. So we got to get to your bonus round question. Now, we could go with trying to understand why Tracy Kimberlin would trade being lead singer in a rock and roll band for running a hotel. We could go that direction, but I'm really more intrigued with your attempt to break the world record in coin snatching. <laughs> How close did you come? <laughs> well, I, well, I thought I had it.
1: I'll give you the short version of the story. I was watching Johnny Carson. Well,
0: and, and for people who don't know what coin snatching <laughs> right. is, well, oh, yes, tell them uh, what coin good, snatching good is.
1: Point. Coin snatching is where you stack coins on your elbow, you bend your arm back uh, with your hand by your ear, and you stack coins on your elbow, and then very quickly lower your arm and catch all of the coins in midair before they hit the ground. Right. So that's what coin snatching is. And a skill we all need to have. Absolutely. It's important. You can lose money if you don't know how to do that. But anyway... (laughs) I was watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That's how long ago this was. And uh, there was this guy that came on who said he had the uh, world record for coin snatching nickels and he had caught 65 and he was going to attempt to break the record on The Johnny Carson Show. So anyway, I'm sitting there watching this and he stacks up all these nickels and he makes several attempts and he can't do it. Well, they run out of time and you know, and so be it. And I was at the time living in the hotel that I was managing. And I thought, well, you know, I think I could do that. And so I go down to the front desk and I said, "Uh, can you give me a couple of rolls of nickels? And uh, they didn't have any rolls of nickels. So it's like, okay, well, what do you got? So they had a couple of rolls of dimes. Well, dimes are considerably smaller, Mm -hmm. but I caught, I think it was 78 dimes my first attempt you're so kidding. first. I knew attempt. I was on the
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: And so the next morning I get the nickels and sure enough, I catch 68 nickels. And I think on my first try.
0: Amazing.
1: And uh, so I think, okay, well, you know, I just broke the record. How do I make that official? So I called Guinness and uh, Guinness says, well, uh, we don't have a record for coin snatching nickels we have a record for coin snatching half dollars and that record is 50. Okay. And, uh, so I asked him, I said, well, how'd this guy get on the Johnny Carson show claiming he had the world record? And they said, beats us. But (laughs) anyway, you know, they told me what I needed to do and all this kind of stuff. So I, I get some half dollars and I stack them up and lo and behold, I catch them. And, uh, I caught, I wound up catching 52, and you had to have an affidavit from witnesses and preferably uh, news coverage and, if possible, video of you doing it. And the KY3 TV station salesman happened to be there and he called the news crew and they came out and filmed me catching them. Uh, And then the newspaper filmed me or took a picture of me catching them, and so I had all this stuff, send it off to Guinness, and they said, sorry, you caught them in two stacks, and they have to be caught in one. And one stack is very tall, and my hands aren't anywhere near big enough to grab those, you know, in one stack. And so I never even tried uh, to break the record again. So that's my coin snatching.
0: Lost in that technicality. <laughs> yes, exactly. Amazing. Well, tell us about the rock band, too.
1: <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, when I was in high school and my first couple of years in college, uh, I was the lead singer. I always say lead screamer because that's what we did back then. And <laughs> all the rock music, you pretty much screamed it. But anyway, I was in this rock band for, I guess it was three or four years. We played you know, at homecomings and proms and stuff like that. It was actually a lot of fun. Always wanted to be a rock star, but, you know, wind up in this business.
0: Right. Any recordings?
1: No. (laughs) Thank God. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Tracy, again, thank you for all you've done for this industry, for Missouri's tourism industry, for all of us. And you have been over the years a, a dear friend and someone who is always willing to talk Missouri model and any other kinds of strategies. And sadly, you know, when most of us that are in our age group, when we got into this, we didn't think it was about politics. And of course, today it absolutely is. And so you've been, you know, one of those mentors to so many um, with your uh, knowledge of just how to maneuver at a state house and in local government as well. So it has been a real joy. And uh, we do hope we see you out there on the trail some more.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. And
0: I'll see you soon. All right, looking forward. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. And thanks to our sponsor, our friends at Destinations International. The 2023 Summit season is just around the corner. First up, Marketing and Communications Summit, the preeminent gathering place for marketing, communications and PR professionals dedicated to helping destination organizations thrive. Marketing and Communications Summit is February 13, 14 and 15 in Norfolk. For more information and to register, go to destinationsinternational.org slash upcoming hyphen events. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity and a new model for destination development, the book destination leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.